0: Ooh, we loud tonight. How we doing? It's ramen night. How we doing? Conference in January. It's going to be epic. It's going to be cold. But we're basically inside the whole time. It's incredible. Um, Yeah, for real, if you haven't been to conference with us before, go ahead and sign up. It is my favorite weekend of the year. It even beats fall retreat. It's not even close. Maybe it's a little close. Um, but yes, if you have a Bible, you guys can go ahead and open up with me to Colossians chapter three. That's where we're going to be continuing tonight. Um, but as you're turning there, to Colossians chapter three, I got a question for you. Who here loves the heat? Like your, your team heat, like sun's out guns out, summertime's your season. Okay, Where are my winter people at? Okay, so team heat, team heat, and then winter. Okay, I think team heat, I think. What? Oh, neither. Get her out of here. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So I grew up in Louisiana and lived there my entire life. And then my wife, Lindsay, and I, we actually moved for the first time out of Louisiana three and a half years ago where we moved to, believe it or not, Iowa. Now, if you ever looked at the U.S. map, those states are pretty far apart. And as you can imagine, their climates are very different. Okay, so like no joke, Louisiana's like one of the hottest states, I think, in our country. My mom sent me a screenshot. She still lives there this last summer of just like the weather for the week. And it was like 103, 104, 106, 104, 103 were all the highs that week. And then that doesn't even factor in the humidity there, okay, which is like 80, 90%. So it'll feel like 110 degrees. And it's just like, you're walking in an oven, okay? But then we move up to Iowa, which is the complete opposite. Like it didn't snow in Louisiana until I was, I think, 10 years old in the town that I grew up in. And I don't know if there's ever been a day where it hasn't snowed in Iowa in the history of, I mean, that, that's not true. It, it, there are times it doesn't snow there. But anyways, completely opposite. And when we moved, here's the thing, like it, it changed a lot of the ways that we had to live. Okay. So I'll give some examples. Um, for one, Lindsay and I like never owned a coat growing up because in Louisiana, you don't need a winter coat. Like if you walked around in a winter coat, you would look like honestly an idiot out there because it's so rare that it gets to 30 degrees. In fact, a couple times a year, it will get below 30 degrees and here's what happens. They shut down school. Like, like I remember like multiple times when I was in high school, it got to, like 28 degrees and all right, school's canceled because you know what the budget for like winter weather is in Louisiana? Zero dollars is what, is what it is. So there's, like, no salt budget. So if, if it freezes at all, everybody's terrified. You have to, like, run your water faucets overnight when it gets below 30 because there's no insulation in the houses like we have up in the north around your pipes. And so your your pipes will freeze and bust, okay? I on the other hand, right, we needed winter coats really quickly because there was a week it got to negative 30 degrees whenever we were there, which is just insane the coldest i think it's gotten here since we've been here is like negative six maybe i think it was like last last year was negative six right who's the day it got really cold here last year i was another level all right um also i had to learn how to use this thing called a snowblower has anybody used a snowblower before Okay, there's like a f- oh it's a handful of you okay well if you don't know what a snow do y'all all know what that is i didn't think people use those in cincy does anybody use one of those in cincy Wow, it's like hardly snows here at all. Okay, well, I have a video of me using one of these bad boys, and you can go ahead and play that. It's basically like a lawnmower, all right? That's me doing my thing in Iowa. And it like sucks up snow, and it shoots it out like 30 feet, okay? It's pretty epic. And I sprayed it at Lindsay one time, and she got really mad at me. But here's the thing. When, when we moved to Iowa, there were things about our life that had to change just based on the sheer climate that we were now living in, okay? Track with me. We've been going through Colossians. Okay, why am I talking about like, hey, why did our life have to change? Well, so far in Colossians in the first two chapters, what Paul has been talking to us about is basically everything that Jesus has done to reconcile us to God. How God sent Jesus to live the life that we were all required to, a perfect sinless life. And then on the cross, take the punishment that we deserve for our sins and then he rose again, and through faith in him, we can have eternal life. We can be forgiven of sins, be a part of the family of God, be made citizens of heaven, okay? That's what it means to be a Christian. It's someone whose trust is in Jesus, and he is now your Lord and Savior. But here's the question that Paul begins to answer tonight, is how are we as Christians meant to live, right? In light of what Jesus has done, what is the Christian life supposed to look like? And so That's the question he's going to be answering. That's where we're going. Uh, We are in Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. And I'll read our first few verses, and then we'll, we'll unpack it up. All right. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with, hidden in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. All right. We're going to talk grammar for a second, okay? Notice that, that first phrase. If then you have been raised with Christ. If you're a note taker or you write in your Bible, which is okay to do, by the way, like underline that phrase, if then you have been raised with Christ. Um, the order of all this matters, okay? Paul is talking to Christians. And what he's saying is, if this is true of you, right, if your hope is in Jesus and you've trusted in him, here's the reality: you have been raised with Christ. You're now a new person. And it's if that is true, if that is true of you, then obey these commands that God's given you right here. But it is and it is not, right? Obey these commands so that this will be true of you. That is what's that's like one of the crucial things that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. It is not us trying to do these things so that God will be happy with you, but is that you can't do anything. Remember we talked a couple weeks ago about like that, that N-shaped versus U-shaped theology? All right, before I was a Christian, I had an N-shaped theology. It went like this, like, okay, I try to do good things for God. And if I do enough good works, if I'm a good enough person and I send enough praise up to God, then God in response... Think lowercase n will shoot blessings down on me, and give me eternal life, and allow me to be a part of his family. Okay, that is not the gospel. That is not how it works. It is actually a U-shaped theology in that we can't do anything, because every single one of us is imperfect, and God's standard is perfection. We can't do anything to earn right standing with Him, but He's done everything through the person of Jesus. He sent Jesus to live the life we're required to, and then Jesus to take the punishment we deserve. And Jesus rose again because while we were dead in our sins, Jesus died for us. Not when we had it all together, not when we had something to offer God. We had nothing to to offer him. And so Paul's writing to the Christians here in the Colossian church saying, if you've been raised with Christ, which here's the thing, guys, every single person who's a Christian has been raised with Christ past tense. It's already happened and once that happens, it can't it can't be undone. Right? Biblically, there's two types of people in this world. Those who have been raised with Christ and those who are still dead in their sins. Every single one of us right now in this room either alive in Christ or dead in our sins. We either are a Christian or not a Christian. You can't kind of be a Christian or halfway. It's one or the other. You either have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you which is a marker of all believers or you don't you either are a citizen of heaven or you're a citizen of this world it's one or the other and Paul is telling the Colossian church and you and I right now that if you are a Christian if you have been raised to new life then here's how you should live and he's going to give us an important thing to do now that Jesus lives within us look at verse one and two He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of earth. Okay, the first thing Paul tells them to do and tells us to do as Christians, we are to seek the things that are above and to set our minds on the things above. So, Let's talk about that first word for a second. Like, what does it mean to seek something? Like, when I first think of that word, seek, I instantly think of hide and seek, right? Uh, Anybody grow up playing hide and go seek as a kid? Okay, about half of you. The rest of you, your childhoods were lame and not fun. Um, I love playing hide and go seek in the dark when we were younger. I had uh, four siblings growing up, and we would play, and we would turn off all the lights in the house, and whoever was it would have to count in the laundry room because that was, like, the smallest room in the house, and we wanted to give people more space to hide or whatever. And they would count to 50, and they'd come out, and they'd start looking for you, you know, whatever, and you'd hide. It was always the worst playing with my dad, though. Because my dad, like, he was the kind of dad, anybody have a dad who, like, never let them win in anything, and just, like, no matter what the game was, it doesn't matter. It's, like, one-on-one basketball, and we're, like, I'm six years old. He's, like, 35. He's just packing it in my face, and I'm, like, dude. Okay, anyways, so when we played hide-and-go-seek, right, he wouldn't ever let you find him, and it isn't because he was that great of a hider, which he was a pretty good hider, but anytime time you were close and you got up to it, and you were about to find him, you're like looking around in the dark house, he would just jump out and scare you, just like, you know, just scare the crap out of us. like wouldn't give me as a six-year-old or seven-year-old like any satisfaction, I'm still traumatized from it, honestly, but whenever you're the person who's a seeker, right, if you've been the seeker before, what are you doing? Right, you're going through the house, It's dark, you're, you're looking in all the places, you're searching out, and you're in pursuit of all those who are hiding. So when Paul uses that word here, here's what he's telling us Christians. Because of what Jesus has done in your life, because of who you now are, because of the identity that you now have, Jesus redirects our life's pursuits. Jesus wants us to seek what's above and to set our minds on what is above. Here's the reality. All of us have pursuits, right? All of us are pursuing things. Like we have like lifelong pursuits and we have like daily ambitions and things that we are going after. Think about like where your time goes. Those are the things that typically you're pursuing. Like what are you consumed by? They will either be things that are above or things of the earth, things that are below our world. And so what does that mean when he says things that are above? Well, something that is above is like anything that God loves, that honors him, right? Anything that is about expanding his kingdom, you think his virtues, the things that Jesus was passionate about, things of eternal value and substance. Okay, what are things of the earth? Well, those are things that are temporary, things that are world values. Okay, maybe it's chasing a degree, right? Maybe it's... If I just had this certain degree, then I would finally have status in my life and I, and I matter. All right, maybe it's making money. All right, if I, just, I remember in high school having a friend who just told me, Tim, like, I'm never gonna be satisfied in life unless I'm making 300K a year. That's what he told me. Like, that was the thing that he was pursuing and chasing. Maybe it's relationships. Like, if I could just have this type of dating relationship, then I'd finally feel like I found intimacy. Like, what are the things... That you're chasing or pursuing we're all pursuing things for some people it's it's body image or it's looks I mean a big thing in our culture is like wanting to look younger you see all the ads for man if I just looked younger if we just got rid of these wrinkles we're probably not thinking about that right now but like give it a decade and just remember like we're aging like the things of this world that are temporary okay none of these things in and of themselves are necessarily bad Money's not bad. Going after degrees. I mean, all of you are here going after degrees. It's a good thing. But the moment these things become ultimate in our life, like I'm not satisfied unless I have this thing, then it becomes an idol. And then it's a problem. They take the place of God in our lives. Guys, when we as Christians first heard and believed the gospel, right? That's the moment you became a Christian. Something changed in us. The Bible says that you now have a new identity. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside you and now gives you the power to begin to seek the things of God. Whereas before we were Christians, you might have thought that you were seeking the things of God, but at the end of the day, the root of everything that you were going after was self-focused. Right, people use religion all the time who aren't Christians to try to be a good enough person, but really it's, it's, it's focused on themselves. How can I be good enough so God will be happy with me? And it's actually prideful and offensive to God. But something changed the moment we became a Christian to where our outlook on life is completely different. And Paul tells us the reason why we should go after things and search things that are above and set our minds on the things that are above, not here. It's in verses three and four. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. A Christian in the room, do you realize your life is hidden with Christ? And what does that mean? That when you first trusted in him, you entered into a union with him. That you actually died to your old self and you've been raised to new life. You have a new identity the things that you do no longer define you. You're defined by what Jesus has done. The perfect life on earth that Jesus lived, like every single good deed that he did is now accredited to you as if you did them. Like when God looks at you, he doesn't see you by the things that you've done and all your brokenness. He sees you the same way he sees his son, holy and blameless and without sin. And it's absolutely incredible. Like not only does Jesus redirect our life's pursuits and he reshapes our life's perspectives, but he redefines our purpose altogether. And I love the way that Paul words that. He says, Christ who is your life. Like let that sink in. Like he's your life. The only reason you have life is because he dwells in you. And then he says, when Jesus appears, all right, he's talking about his second coming there. Cause the first time Jesus came, He came to save the world, to die for us so we could have life. But the second time he comes, he's going to come as judge. And he's going to gather all those who've trusted in him, all those in the family of God. And he's going to make all things new. But judgment is what awaits for those who reject Jesus their whole life. Okay? But when he comes back, we'll be raised as well. That's what it says in verse 4. And so... The question is, right, a lot of this has to do with our mind. But what, is, what do these things look like practically? Like, what does it actually look like to set our minds on the things about? Like, how do we do that? Okay, so here's how this kind of works in my life. I don't know about you, but every time that I wake up, like, alarm goes off in the morning, my natural inclination is to want to just grab my phone and go straight to, like, task or doing something, something that I need to do that day, whether it's for work or something else, or maybe it's a text message I need to send out. Maybe it's looking at like, I'm a big LSU fan, so maybe it's looking at like LSU sports or or whatever. I have to fight against that to guard that time and give my first time to the Lord. And so instead of grabbing my phone, grabbing my Bible, and spending some time with the Lord, because what I'm doing in that moment is I'm actually setting my mind on the things that are most important the things of God. Like that is a practical way how we do this. Like this is where the spiritual disciplines that the Bible talks about when like reading the Bible, praying and fasting, like those come into play. Whenever we, I don't know if you ever practiced fasting before, but whenever we fast, what we're doing is we're actually like going without something that we really desire and want. And we're setting that aside for a substantial amount of time or a significant amount of time. Maybe it's food or maybe it's YouTube or maybe it's a drink that you really like and you're setting that aside. And every time you start to crave that thing, instead of going to that thing, you turn your thoughts and your mind towards heavenly things. Maybe it's scripture that you're memorizing, that you're trying to meditate on. And you're going to the Lord in those moments. Prayer, guys. Like you realize we have an opportunity to talk to God our Father, at all times. He's listening to us at all times. He's waiting and wants a relationship with us. And so one way we set our minds on the things of above, the things above, is by going and talking to God, creating a pattern in your life where you're asking God for things. You're asking him to change my will to align with his, to go after the things that he wants. To do specific things in your life that will glorify him and help to advance his kingdom. That's what it means to set our minds on the things above. But in these last few verses, Paul's going to transition and he's going to get really concrete and practical. He's going to give us some application on, okay, here's what you're to do. So look at verse five. He says, put to death, therefore. And again, just. This is where, like, words really matter. Underline that word, therefore. Because it is not, and if you hear anything tonight, hear this, it is not do these commands that are written in the Bible here so that God will be happy with you, so that he'll accept you. That therefore is in response to who Jesus has made you to be. Therefore, in light of who you are as a child of God, because of Jesus' perfect work on your behalf, therefore, therefore. Put to death what is earthly in you. Then he goes into this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. All right, lots of concrete application that, that Paul gives us here, okay? Uh, notice in five and seven, he says, put to death what is earthly in you. When Paul uses that word earthly here, he's talking about anything that doesn't honor God. Remember, our world, our this earth that we live in, it's corrupted. And an easy way to look and prove that it's corrupted is look what happened to Jesus. Right? The the most perfect, the only perfect man to ever walk this earth, what did we do? We killed him. It's not because he was bad, it's because he was too good. Our world as a whole loves darkness. I mean, look around, look at the things on social media that you just scroll through and read, the things in our news. Our world is corrupted. It's not as it once was and how it will be one day. And Paul is saying, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he goes into this list, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. All these things right here that he lists in verse five have to do with sexual sin. Anything, and when I say sexual sin, that's like anything that is against God's design that we first saw in Genesis, which is um, anything that's outside of a relationship of one man and one woman in in the confines of marriage for life. Like God is, is the creator of sex. It's a gift that he's given us. But what do we do? Because our world's broken and we're broken, we pervert it. And we wanna use the things that God's given us that are gifts in a way that doesn't honor him, but in a way that we think makes us feel good or that will satisfy us. And Paul's saying, put these things to death. Like, it, like sin is not cute. Sometimes we think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Like, I can just play with it a little bit and it's, and it's gonna be fine, but actually it wants to kill you. Paul says, put it to death. These things aren't gonna lead to you flourishing. They leave us hurting and hurting those around us and hurting God. And I want to be clear that like putting sin to death is a difficult thing to do. It's something that only Christians can ultimately do. I remember to the day, the first time that I was exposed to pornography. I was 13 years old. Like I remember the house I was in. It was at my friend's house. I remember the device that we looked at the things on. And I remember that moment, like, it freaked me out. But there was another part that also, like, it, it fascinated me. It hooked me. It hooked me deep. And I began to spiral down into this happened. I was a Christian at this time. I'd been following Jesus for a few years. And I felt like, man, nobody could know This. And I remember trying really hard and just making promises to God. Maybe you've made them before, right? After looking at something on some website that I know I shouldn't be on and feeling horrible afterwards because that's what sin does. It always overpromises and it underdelivers. You thought that it would make you happy, but it doesn't. It left you more empty than you were before. And going to God like, like I'm sorry I did this. Feeling like I almost needed to clean myself up first. Like I needed to read the Bible more. Or wait some time, God, I'll never do this again. And then a week or two later, the same thing. Guys, this was a cycle that was in my life for five years. All the way until I was 19 years old. And I felt like, man, if people really knew that, then my reputation would be ruined. Like some of you, that's where you are with sexual sin right now. It might not be pornography, maybe it is pornography for you. But it might be in like your actual dating relationship, or maybe with someone you're not even dating. And you feel like any like, like these sexual, like acting on these sexual desires will satisfy you, but it hasn't. It's left you empty. And you thinking, maybe God's mad at me, maybe there's no way, I don't know how God can laugh, still love me after the things that I've done. Like I felt and heard those lies. I just want to say, if, if, if you're there right now, like, there is hope. In Christ, there is hope. His spirit dwells in you. He's given you everything that you need to live a life of godliness. And so practically, man, what does it look like to put our sin to death? I'm just going to, like, show you how this looked in my story, and this is what I still practice today. Um, the first thing, guys, is conf- when we sin, and this is, like, with all sin, not just sexual sin, but with, this, with all sin. Confess it to God and confess it to another Christian. Confess it to your community. Like sin loves to live in the dark. You ever notice that? Like whenever you sin, you do something that, that you thought you'd never do. Like you don't want anybody to know that. Sin loves to live in the dark because in the dark, that's where it fester. But as a Christian, here's the reality. You're only as sick as your secrets. Because where you've fallen short, guess what? Jesus' grace has covered it. It's paid for it. When he said it is finished on the cross, he meant it. All of your sins, past, present, and future, those things don't define you anymore. So why do we confess our sins? Why do we tell, it's not so that we can be forgiven of our sins. We're already forgiven by God. We confess our sins to one another so that they can remind us of who we are. That Tim, hey, I know you did that. That's not who you are. That behavior is not okay. But that's not how God views you. And Jesus has paid for it. Like we need to be reminded of those truths because, man, we forget them. We are prone to forget the things that God has done to redeem us to himself. So we have to remind one another. The Christian life, guys, is not meant to be lived in isolation alone. We need one another. And so for me, yeah, I have regular men in my life who ask me tough questions that I need to be asked every single week, who I'm 100% transparent with. If you don't have something like that, like campus groups are a great place to start. Nobody's gonna meet you there with, oh, how could you do that? I would never do that, right? That's not the gospel. The gospel is, hey, Jesus has paid for it. He's washed you clean. That's not who you are. Okay, second step. After you confess, ask for accountability. Okay, we don't wanna just be talkers when it comes to our sin which is the first step. You need to confess it. But we don't want to just be talkers and bring it into the light. We actually want to ask our Christian brothers and sisters to challenge us and give them permission to speak into our lives. And like, hey, help me set a boundary so I don't continue in this. Hey, next week, ask me about this. Hey, tomorrow, hey, I need every day you to ask me about this. Like, Do what is necessary so that it makes it really difficult for you to continue to sin in these habitual ways. And here's the third thing. I kind of just said it. It's do what is necessary. All right, and this is where it can get really hard. You remember Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount? We looked at this last year, but he was like, if your right hand causes you to sin, what do you say to do? Cut it off. All right, that sounds like crazy, extreme, like we've all sinned with our hands before you ever take like cut it off what is jesus getting out there sin is so offensive to god he hates it it wants to kill you do what's necessary to fight it like take the step that you actually need to take often what i hear christians say is when they confess their sin they'll they'll go to God and they'll and they'll pray about the desires because two things are going on there, right? When you have like a sin habit in your life, like you have desires and then you have opportunity. Often what I, I hear Christians want to do is they just go to God and God, will you help me with these desires? And they just want to focus on getting these desires for whatever sin to go down lower, but they do nothing about the opportunity. That's like the person who's addicted to cigarettes and has been chain smoking for years and he wants to quit smoking, He's not going to be able to start to walk in freedom from that if he keeps a pack of cigarettes in his pocket all day with a lighter. Because the opportunity is right there all the time while the desires are really high. You have to do what's necessary, Christian, to remove the opportunity. And then it'll be easier to move your desires towards Christ and the things that he loves and, and ask him to help you see how this is gross and wicked. So how this looked. For several of my friends in college, guys, uh, they all got rid of their iPhones. They got rid of their smartphones. They did what was necessary to cut out whatever addiction they were fighting. Where the desire was really high and the opportunity was high, they removed the opportunity. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. I had friends who, um, what they did was they actually took the doors off their room, and they took the doors off their bathroom because they knew they couldn't be left in private. And they gave their roommates full permission. Hey, ask me how I'm doing any time. Like do what it is necessary to fight sin. That's what we're called to do because God hates it. And it's only going to leave you more disappointed and leave you in a place that you never wanted to go. And so these are the steps that I had to take. I had to get rid of social media. I had to make sure that I didn't have access in the ways that I did before. Because, man, Jesus is more important. And I know because of who he is and what he's done, he's proven himself faithful again and again and again and again, that I can trust him. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even if I might even not understand the command. Like, do what's necessary. So, man, I'd encourage you to ask yourself, Do I have, am I doing any of these things? Like, what do I need to do? If you're not, and you're a Christian, right? If you're not a Christian, forget it. Any of this, this doesn't matter. Like, you need, you need Jesus first. You need to realize that eternal life and godly living, or trying to live a godly life, um, should only be done in response to what Jesus has done. You have to receive Him first. You have to come to the end of yourself. You have to realize you can't earn your right standing with God. But for Christians, those who have been redeemed, you, your citizenship's changed. You're now a citizen of heaven. And Jesus is your Lord, and we're called to live for him and honor him. At next week, we're going to see it's not just like in some areas of our life, but it's in whatever we do, whether we're eating or drinking or word or deed, like honor the Lord with what he's given you. We won't do it perfectly this side of heaven, and so we need to be a people who continue to practice repentance and faith, where we bring our sin to light, we confess it to those around us, who remind us of the gospel, who challenge us where we need to be challenged and then encourage us to take the steps that we need to take so that we can actually begin to flourish in, in the life that God's called us to live. I love how 1 John says that his commands are not burdensome, right? Some of you might think that God's commands are burdensome for They're not. They're meant to bring us to joy and to flourishing. Okay? Here's the next reason Paul gives. In verse 6, he says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. All right? What's the reason we should fight our sin? It's because God hates it. And you want to know how much God hates our sin? Look at the cross. Like, that's what had to happen. What we deserve for our sin against God was his eternal wrath, because to sin against a holy, perfect, eternal God brings eternal judgment. But what happened on the cross? Our sins were laid on Jesus past, present, and future, and he bore that wrath for us. And we're no longer under wrath, but we're under grace, okay? And maybe you're asking the question, well, if we're under grace and Jesus has covered our sins, past, present, and future, then why should why should I continue to, to, to strive to cut these things out of my life? Why don't I just continue to live how I used to live before I was a Christian, okay? Uh, someone literally just asked me this a few weeks ago. Like, well, if Jesus already paid for your sins, why don't you just do whatever you want? And I got this from Seth Jones, and it's a just (laughs) great response. So I I asked him, I was like, hey, does your dad love you? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, my dad loves me. And he says, okay, if if you called your dad right now and you cursed him out, would your dad still love you? And he's like, yeah, he'd probably still love me. Okay, here, take my phone. Why don't you do that right now? Call your dad and curse him out. And the guy's like, no, I don't want to do that. Why not? Because I love my dad. He's always been a great dad to me. He loves me. You see, it's the same thing for us as Christians. Only our father in heaven, it's not like our earthly fathers. All of our earthly fathers had blemishes. Whether you had a really bad dad here or you had a really great dad growing up, God is the dad that none of us have ever had. He's a perfect father. And he's loved us better than anybody ever will. And it's proven by what happened on the cross. And so godly living, the root of it always starts and needs to start for us Christians in light of what Jesus has done. Because of who he's made us to be. It's not live this way so that God will accept you. It's this is who you are because of what I've done. Now cut out of your life what you need to. All right. Look at verse 8 and 9. Paul says this. He shifts to our speech now. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Okay? So not only should the gospel change the things that we are pursuing, but it should also change what comes out of us. Okay, so think about your speech, right? Because Paul lists like six things right here. Anger. being quick to respond uh, and condemn others and get easily offended. Wrath, to judge others. Malice, seeking to tear others down, not having their best interests at heart. Slander, right, which is gossip. It's talking poorly about people when they're not around. Degrading their name. Speaking negatively, negatively of them. Obscene talk. It's talking in a way that doesn't honor the Lord. Don't lie to one another, right? Speaking untruthfully or deceiving one another. Think about your life and just like reflect on this last week. Man, what is coming out of my mouth? Like, God, are there areas on here where I'm falling into those things? I'm choosing to do those things. Which of these things do I need to bring into the light? Do I need to confess? Do I need to turn from? That we need to see that these things actually don't honor the Lord. They actually hurt the people around us and they're offensive to God. Guys, these things aren't fitting. I love the way that he he, he words that. He's, he's like, put them all away. Like they're not fitting for who you now are as a Christian. You know what this made me think of? Um, I have a lot of clothes right now that have holes in them. I don't know if anybody else here has clothes. like, But... Like, a lot of my pants get holes in them, um, and a lot of my shorts have clothes in them. And it could be, I know I've ripped a couple pairs of pants lifting up these stages before, but it's also from just, like, playing sports or just, I don't know, going too hard or whatever, and just, like, random shorts. But I have a lot of clothes with holes in them. And here's the thing. I'm, like, more on the frugal side, and so I don't like throwing away my shorts whenever they have holes in them. But my wife doesn't like me looking like a hobo, and so she's always like, Tim, like, dude, you need to get rid of those. You need to get rid of those. I was literally writing my sermon today and I'm looking at the shorts that I'm wearing and I noticed there, there was like a hole that started here and went all the way to here that my wife has like sewed with just like, it's, a, it's not even the right color thread. It looks horrible, but I just can't let him go. All right, here's the thing. She's telling me, Tim, those things aren't fitting for you. Get rid of those. Paul's saying the same thing. This behavior is not fitting for you, Christian. It's not who you are. Get rid of them. Put it away. God's spirit dwells in you. He's given you what you need. You have the power to say no to sin, to say no to your flesh and yes to the spirit. Start walking in obedience. And when you fail, believe me, guys, we will fail. We are not going to arrive this side of heaven. And if anybody is telling you that, all right, they're not handling the word of God rightly because the Bible says, if you say you are without sin, then the truth's not in you, All right, All of us have that. We sin more than we could ever even imagine. We got to take it seriously. Jesus isn't trying to withhold from us. He wants what's best for us. And so, man, the best motivator, right, for the Christian life, the number one thing is to look at a person. It's not to look at the list of do's and don'ts, which sometimes we need to examine these lists, and we need to ask the Spirit, God, show me, and where am I not living in step with how you've called me to live? And we need to take it seriously. But the best motivator is to fix our eyes on the person of Jesus and what He's done. And as you do that, and there's going to be sins in your life that you used to love and want to indulge in that start to become repulsive to you. That you start to discuss. You're like, "Man, how can I, how can I sin against God in this way?" Okay, but don't put the cart before the horse. All right, this isn't do these things so that you'll become a Christian. Man, Jesus has done all the work. It's been paid in full. And if you're not a Christian, right? And look to Jesus. Recognize that there is nothing that you can do to earn right standing with God. It is only through trusting in his work, his sacrifice on the cross. That's what will make you right with God. Looking to Jesus, acknowledging that you're broken, he's the answer. And Christian, Let's not get away from that, right? We still need Jesus every day. All right, let's pray. Father, every time that I look at a text in your word that is just full of, of commands um, of how we should live as Christians, I want to be just reminded and so thankful of the fact that Jesus lived the perfect life. That he lived the life that we were required to live. That he's the only one to ever walk this earth without sin. He loved you perfectly. He sought after the things of above perfectly. He never did anything that was wrong. He honored you every second of his life and his life because of his death and his resurrection and through faith is now accredited to all of us here who've trusted in him. May that be our starting place. May that be our home base, knowing that we have a new identity because of what Jesus has done. I once was lost. I once was dead in my sins. I once was unable to help myself, but now I'm alive in Christ and it's all because of what Jesus has done. And Lord, we thank you that you just didn't leave us there once you freed us from the penalty of sin, but Lord, you gave us your spirit, which gives us power to now say no to our flesh and no to our sin and walk in obedience to you and live a life that honors you. And we thank you, Lord, that as we fail along the way, because we will, you're not going anywhere that we've been sealed by your spirit, which is the down payment of our inheritance until Jesus, you come back one day. Or we die and we meet you face to face. And so Lord, right now, we want to fix our eyes presently here on the things that matter, your kingdom. Your kingdom advancing, Lord, on our campuses. We want to be passionate about that, consumed by it. Not the things of this earth, Lord. If it doesn't matter in a thousand years, it makes no sense for us to wrap our minds around it, to live our lives around it, Lord. We want to be focused on the things that are eternal. And so, Lord, give us boldness as we go into our campuses, as we go into our houses, to speak your truth to those around us, to get uncomfortable, Lord, and have uncomfortable conversations with people around us. Because, Jesus, you got uncomfortable for us so that we could have life. God, you are so good. You are so merciful. We thank you for who you are, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.